In a world that can be challenging and at times unpredictable, it's hard to find moments to focus on what you need. Join Stephanie James on The Spark as she guides you to use your inner flame to ignite your best life. As a best-selling author, psychotherapist, transformational life coach, and international show host, Stephanie is dedicated to helping you create a life that takes you, your goals, and your passions to the next level so you can live a life that is fully lit up and fully alive. She believes that your life is meant to be a beautiful expression of the things that light you up, that by living your dreams, you give permission to others to do the same. Are you ready to feel alive and inspired to fuel your dreams and put a fire behind your desires? Let's ignite a spark in one another that will illuminate the world. The Spark with your host, Stephanie James, starts now. Welcome to The Spark. I'm your host, Stephanie James. So wonderful to have you with us tonight. I hope that you are all doing so well and that you are taking time to take care of you. It's our essential message. And we've talked about it so many times, how you can really ask yourself just the three C's in the morning and how that will start changing your day. How can I take care of myself? Because it's not going to look the same today as it did yesterday or the day after. How can I connect with others? We are interconnected beings and we need one another. So just a text, not enough. If we can do a phone call better, Zoom call better, and if we can connect with each other, being face-to-face, there's nothing like it. And how can I be creative today? So tapping into your flow, and that doesn't have to be art. It doesn't have to be music. It literally is about how you can do something that's going to take you into a flow state. You could literally make a song list of 10 of your favorite songs that make you feel good, turn it on, dance in the kitchen. You've put yourself into that creative flow. So welcome to The Spark. I am so excited today. I have the wonderful David Essel with me today. And David, my goodness, what? I I can't even go over all the accolades. There's so many. 10 books. He's been a radio show, TV show host. He's the author of 10 books, as I said. He's an inspirational speaker. He's a master business coach, relationships and success coach, and such a delight. So excited to have you with us, David. Thank you for being here. Stephanie, it's already been a blast. We, a few minutes off air of us communicating and talking. And I've got to say something. When you use the word C with connecting in person, like, we could have done this over the phone and you and I would have connected because our energy is so darn similar. But when we get a chance to see each other's passion for what we both do, like that is a deeper connection, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I can tell like right when we started talking, you know, that when you get that heart resonance with someone and then like, yes. that warm feeling and your heart's just radiating because the energy is just That's amazing. Right. And, and I definitely feel that. So thank you so much for being here. We're going to be talking about your new book, Helping Americans Heal, which even just that title blew me away. And the secondary title, The Ultimate Guide to Healing During These Challenging Times. And wow, hasn't it been? Oh, it has been so challenging. Stephanie, the book is referred to as the Bible 
to help us all move through the times we're in with the pandemic. And as you mentioned, you know, we, we have probably a hundred writings in the book and they're all different topics because of what everyone is going through. And, and I want to make this, uh, this statement because it's so powerful. When the pandemic hit, um, my business as a counselor of 40 plus years went down to zero. Okay. Everything, our book sales dropped, everything went to zero for six months. So I was right in the middle of the stress and the insanity that everyone else has. You know, a lot of people look at individuals like you and I, Stephanie, and go, oh, you know, they've had such a great life. And look at how excited he is doing this podcast. His life is everyone else in the world is suffering with the pandemic. But David Essel is on top of the world. You know, it's like people have that perception, but it's not reality. And and as I was going through my struggle in the first six months, I wasn't even thinking about writing a book. But at the end of the first year, I started to see the devastation. I started to see guys my age in their early 60s, mid 60s, late 60s dying from COVID who were in great shape that were physically, I mean, just Arnold Schwarzenegger's, you know, they ate clean, they didn't drink, they didn't smoke, and they're on a freaking ventilator dying. All of this stuff is building up in me as a counselor, as it would with you and anyone else, right? And, and then the, the, the straw that broke the camel's back that that created the book, Helping Americans Heal. The straw that broke the camel's back was a study from the American Psychological Association. And they came out with this massive survey of Americans. And the statistics blew me away and said, I have to write a book because no one is freaking helping this country heal. Everyone's got the statistics. Everyone's got the deaths. Everyone's got the arguing with politics, the break-in in the Capitol. We've got all this crap, but who the hell is doing anything to help this country heal. The government isn't, and I'm not anti-government, but they're not doing crap. You know, all they're doing is arguing with themselves, which was what they do all the time. So then the study said this, 80% of marriages at this moment because of the pandemic have never been in worse shape than they are in the United States. 80% of respondents said they do not have the emotional coping skills to deal with the grief, job loss, financial challenges, addiction increases, weight gain. We've had a massive weight gain in this country in the last three years, right? 40% of respondents with depression or anxiety said it has never been deeper. They've never been more anxious or more depressed than they are right now. So I'm looking at this freaking study, Stephanie, and I'm going, what are we doing? How come no one is, is, is taking this, right? And so we decided let's use this as the foundation. Let's use this powerful study from a very well-respected organization as a foundation. And then we went in in the book and we said, hey, listen, anxiety is not just I'm nervous. You know, anxiety has many faces. Depression has many faces. We tell a story of PTSD. If you know, we, we work with the military and we work with a lot of veterans coming back and we have over the years. Unfortunately, the average veteran will wait four to five years after they return from war to get help. Now, they may get medical help, meaning prescription drugs when they come back. They will use alcohol. They will use pot. They will use heroin. They'll use anything to deal with the demons. But they often wait four years or more before they'll come into my office or into a Zoom, right? And so what we're telling people and what we're telling people in the book uh, about PTSD and everything else is it's not just military. I mean, there's a story of a woman that during the pandemic got divorced gained 80 pounds, lost her two dogs of 13 years, lost her house. She came in and sat down, Stephanie, and said, David, I, I just think I have some type of like low-grade depression. 
And I looked at her and said, low grade depression. She said, yeah. I said, go ahead and tell me again what you've been through in the last year. And she told me, and I said, everything you have is PTSD. Every, every symptom, you're not just depressed. You have depression, you have anxiety, you have addiction, you know, you have a loss of hope, hopelessness, you're grieving. When you put those things together, you're no longer a depressed person. You have upgraded, unfortunately, to PTSD. So, you know, the book was to educate, to expand, but, but as importantly as anything, it was to give people hope. And it still is giving hope today. Last week, the book went number one bestseller. And we went out of our minds, Stephanie, because we've done so many different things over the years. You know, I wrote books for 20 years, and I think I sold two books out of all <laughs> the books I wrote. I swear to God, I had piles in the storage center, right? This is going back into the early 90s. 20 years of no recognition, very little book sales until the book Positive Thinking Will Never Change Your Life, but this book will came out, and then everything exploded. Now, We come to helping Americans heal, and we say this to our country. If we haven't been able to heal by now, which most of us have not been able to, we need outside resources. We need Stephanie. We need good books. We need a commitment on your part to self-care, which is something you mentioned at the very top of your show. Helping Americans heal is all about self-care. We are in unprecedented times. We should not expect anyone to know how to deal with this crap. So you should go to professionals, not just myself, Stephanie, there's millions of great professionals out there. Get the help necessary because none of us know what the heck to do when we're hit with something so unusual. Absolutely. And, and I feel, and I'm, I'm wondering, David, for you too, you know, it, it seems like we had literally like this collective PTSD Absolutely. that happened internationally. That's right. You know, to a certain level, we've all been through that because our way of life was dramatically and very quickly changed. Yes. And so that's why I I am hearing those statistics that you're saying, and it's absolutely accurate. I mean, we had communities, nations of anxiety, depression. We had all this fear mongering going on. Yes. And so we need something like this. That's a survival guide. That's right. Literally like a survival guide. You know, one of the articles is called The World is Grieving. And we talk about it. You know, there is not a corner of the world. I mean, maybe some jungle, un, unfound jungle village in the middle of the Amazon that no one has ever discovered, you know, isn't affected by the pandemic. You know, but besides that, everyone has been. And, and, and you know, it's, it's fascinating, too, because during the pandemic, some people are making more money than they've ever made in 20 years. Um, you know, construction is through the roof. Uh, you know, there's all kinds. Of, and then there are other people that have lost their business of 30, 40, 50 years that they've shut down, that they don't even know what to do with themselves. You know, um, the, the mention in the study about the relationships. Oh, my God. When we look at the number of people, of, of couples at each other's throats, uh, you know, from the beginning to today, the number of couples, I, I just got a, a gentleman runs a $25 million company. Uh, he came in not too long ago and he sat down and said, well, never thought I'd be in this place. And I said, well, welcome. Great to meet you. <laughs> and he said, well, I'm not here because I'm doing well. And I said, I, I couldn't understand that. He said, David, he goes, in the last three years, my wife and I have increased the amount of alcohol we drink so dramatically that all we're doing is fighting. That's all we do. 
We drink and fight. My company is off the charts. It's a construction company. I don't even have to be there to make millions and millions and millions of dollars. I've got everyone taking care of everything, right? Except for me. We're not taking care of ourselves. And I see that happening just like you do, Stephanie, one case after another. People waiting. Well, when the pandemic ends, I'll get back into my my club, my gym club. I'll start losing weight. When the pandemic ends, I'll think about the drinking thing then. You know, when the pandemic ends, I'll, but, you know, we don't believe the pandemic will ever end. And that's not a negative, but we see the morphine of the viruses going from A to B to C to D to E. And so if we can approach this, that this will never end. So now how do I live? How am I vibrant? How am I passionate? This is never ending. But it doesn't mean we can't be vibrant, passionate, successful just because there's something in our way. Move through the mountain, move through it, and we can find what we desire. Absolutely love that. You know, I one of the things I was struck by as well in your book that just really touched me is that you are so vulnerable in this book and you speak your truth and your struggles and I think that's important, as you mentioned in the very beginning, because I think people can look at you and say, oh, my gosh, he's so successful. Of course, he's handling the pandemic. And you've had to overcome big adversity in your life. And are you, are you open to discussing that a little bit? Every part of it, Stephanie. My, my heart is wide open because of the fact that I know that humility and vulnerability are two of the greatest healers in the world. So if you and I can be humble and vulnerable, and we have people that are watching us and paying attention to what we're saying, all we're doing is giving them the gift to say, hey, Stephanie went through X and she's talking about it without shame or guilt or embarrassment. David went through this. He's not talking about it with shame, embarrassment or guilt. You know, it's just who we are and what we've gone through and what we have overcome. And if Stephanie and David can overcome things, we have no special gifts that you don't have to overcome your challenges. It's called having a desire, maybe getting an accountability partner, picking a date to begin. Yeah, we could go through all the goal setting stuff. But Stephanie, you know, one of the things that I, you know, do regularly talk about, there's several big things that I've gone through that I talk about regularly, but probably one of the biggest changing points in my life was in 1990 when I had a failed suicide attempt. And with the failed suicide attempt, it opened up this whole doorway. Now, people look at counselors and think that we can self-diagnose. You know, I mean, it's really difficult for a counselor, a therapist, a psychiatrist to self-diagnose. So after the failed suicide attempt, we had found that ever since probably I was born, um, I was suffering with generalized anxiety disorder, uh, clinical depression, ADD, and ADHD. I mean, that was just the beginning of what we found after I failed at the suicide. And so what happened then is my mind was open. Now, this was a year later, okay? It took a year to recover from that. But when my mind reopened, I said, if I, as a counselor, could not see that I was struggling with depression, anxiety, all of these things, how could any other person self-diagnose? So in 1990, I committed the rest of my existence to this work, to the deep work, to the heavy work, to the mental health work, to the self-esteem, self-sabotaging uh, uh, work, to the work of the conscious versus the subconscious mind so people can see that your conscious intention may never come to fruition if your subconscious has been embedded with data that's taking you down the wrong roadway. You know, so so we talk about that and and 
and you know, I was on a, a NBC affiliate in Tampa yesterday morning or doing, doing an interview. And we were discussing about, you know, the number of people that feel they have to be ready to get sober or ready to get help in their marriage or, you know, no one is ever ready to get help. Okay. So let me make this point really strong. No one is, I was not ready to get help. I was an alcoholic and a cocaine addict for 30 freaking years. I wasn't ready to get help. I was going to heal myself. But then when I went in and decided to get help, I said this, when they, I went to a treatment center and they said, on a scale of one to a hundred, what is your desire to get sober? And I said, 10%. I was honest. Yeah. I didn't want to get sober. I really liked having something to lean on. I like to be able to shut my brain off after listening to people going through incest, business failures all day long with my clients. I love to go home and shut off. I wanted to shut down. So they looked at me and they said, you have a, you're, you're paying all this money in a treatment center and you have a 10% desire to heal. I said, yeah. What's it going to take to get the other 90%? I said, that's why I'm here. I don't know. I really don't know what to do. I go in, I go into uh, the detox. It's a three-day detox and they make sure that you're fully detoxed before they put you into general population. (laughs) And you go into general population and I'm walking across the campus and there's this guy who comes up to me and he goes, are you Essel? And I go, yeah, Father Ron wants to see you. Who's Father Ron? Father Ron is the spiritual director of the, of the center. I said, okay, um, when? Right now. He's got 10 minutes. Get to his office. It's right there. So I walk in, and I don't know if, 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 if our uh, audience knows about the Catholic Church, but there's a certain level of priest that they get up to called a Monsignor. And a Monsignor is a very high-level ranking priest. Now, here's this freaking Monsignor from Brooklyn, New York, in West Palm Beach, Florida, in the slum ghetto treatment center that I'm in, surrounded by slums, ghettos, drugs, everything in the world, greatest place in the world for a treatment center. And, and he, I walk in, and I'm going to sit down. He goes, don't sit down. I said, okay. And he goes, I've got a question for you. I see you tomorrow at 2.30. When you get to your room, on the bed will be a schedule. Don't ever be late to meet with me. I'm going, oh, my God, this guy's a hard ass, right? He's coming right at me. Don't sit down. Be here on time. And then he looks at me and goes, why are you here? And I said, Stephanie, you're going to love this. <laughs> this is pure alcoholic talk. Uh, to get sober? <laughs> and he looks at me and he goes, <laughs> let me ask you again. Why are you here? I go, um, to learn how to finally drink moderately? Stephanie, listen to these answers, right? And he goes, he's shaking his head and he's getting frustrated. And he looks at me and he goes, I'm going to give you one more opportunity. Why are you here? And I said, well, I'd like to say to get on medication that'll cut out all of my desire to drink. But I don't think you're going to like to hear that. So let me go back to my first answer with a statement instead of a question to get sober. He goes, okay, get out of here. He said, this is what I want you to do. There's a track out there. I know you're an athlete. I know you're a minister. I know you're an author. None of that matters. It doesn't matter at all. You need to get closer to God. You need to start spending more time with God. And I looked at him. He goes, I know you've been a pastor of a church. You've been a minister. You've done it all. But you think you're deep and you're not. Now, go out onto that track, walk, think about what I had to say. And tomorrow at 2.30, I want to hear your answer. Stephanie, I go, now I'm confused, right? Here I am thinking I'm going to get help. And I got this guy telling me I'm not this, I'm not that, I'm not this. I go out and walk for two and a half hours. 
at an hour and a half on my wrist. I don't know if you can see, they're called malas. It's a prayer bead. So I've worn these for 40 plus years and I'm using them as as a prayer bead. I'm going around, there's 108 beads. I'm going through 108 prayers. And all of a sudden I get to this place in an hour and a half and I stop walking and I hear this voice and it says, joyfully surrender your life and will to me now. I'm getting chills. I'm getting chills right now. And I'm standing there and I'm frozen. And the voice comes again. Joyfully surrender your life and your will to me now. And then I kept started walking. And as I'm walking, that voice is going through my head. So many times I go in the next day to Father Ron and he looks at me and he goes, you got it. I said, I got what? He goes, you got the message you were supposed to hear. I can see it on your face. Tell me what it was. And now, Stephanie, I'm really blown away right now. I've got this psychic Monsignor, for God's sake, who's reading my brain. Right? And I told him and he said, exactly. He said, you have not surrendered your life or your will to God, because if you had, there would be no cocaine or alcohol ever in your life. So I'm going to give you a gift for the next 30 days in the center. There's only one other gentleman who gets it. I'm taking you on a spiritual journey for 30 days. Every night, we're going to a different prayer group, a different denomination, a different way of looking at life, a different way of looking at God, a different way. And you will walk out of here, David Essel, and you will never again have a craving for any drug or alcohol in your life. And I have to tell you, the most magical thing happened is I followed his advice. And in the last year and a half, the sobriety has been a long time. You know, I don't even call myself a recovering alcoholic or any of that crap. I'm David Essel. That's all I am. I'm David Essel. I tell the stories of hope. But here's the thing that proves that anyone can be permanently recovered for life. And I have a brand new book coming out called Permanent Alcohol and Addiction Recovery for Life. And here's the deal. My mom and dad, over the last year and a half, both passed. My mom passed on January a year ago. My dad passed this past January. My mom was my godsend. She was my savior. She was my best friend. I started as an alcoholic at 12 years of age. She never once kicked me out of the house. All the stuff I pulled on her until 18 when I left, she never gave up on me. She never once put me down. Her death of dementia was the most terrible thing I've ever had to go through. I've never seen Shadowland and all the other things that come up with dementia. I'd never seen it. Our mom became not our mom. You know, for two years in hospice, watching her suffer was the most difficult thing. And then my dad was in two years in hospice suffering. But I tell you this story for this reason. There was not one time in the last couple of years of their death and dying that I ever even thought about a drink. Mm. And if there was ever a time to justify rationalize alcohol, it would have been that. And so, Stephanie, I'm, I'm so gracious to be on your show because I love you. I love your attitude. I love your openness. Your heart is huge. I mean, you can just see it in your face. You can see it in your eyes. 
And to be able to share this with you and to be able to share this with your audience means the world to me because there's a lot of people that would do the opposite of what you've just done when I'm telling the story of my mom and dad and alcohol. They would have interjected a thousand times, Stephanie. They would have wanted to tell their story of grieving. They would have wanted to tell something about themselves. You are an exceptional host. The best sign of an excellent host is one when their guest is in a story, they allow the story to go. You are exceptional at what you do. And that's why I feel so gracious and proud to be with you right now, because the stories that we're sharing are stories that might just change someone else's life. It's serious stuff. And you're right here with me, honey. You're right here. And I appreciate it. Oh, I, I'm just so touched. Thank you, David. And, and thank you so much for sharing those really, really important stories that are, I think they're just testament to no matter what you have been through and you have been through. I mean, and I know that's just one little sliver, Yeah, you know, these, these challenges and difficulties and you've come out on the other side and you didn't fall back into something to, to numb yourself or to distract yeah. yourself. And you just kept thriving. And to me, that's why we can look at a book like yours and go, oh my God, this book has so much credibility because you really live it. You really walk yeah. it. Yeah. And that's you know, powerful. You know, it's funny. Sometimes if someone gets to know, like I, I don't tell my clients in sessions anything about me, right? Like we don't as counselors, we don't talk about ourselves, but people will do research, right? Though before they hire you to do research and several times over the years, someone has said, you know, you've been through so much can you really help me? <laughs> you know, it's like you, you've gone through so much yourself and I'll always laugh and say, Oh my Lord, listen, it's easier helping you than me. Trust me. Okay. So I can help you a lot easier than I can help me. I said, but when I was struggling, I did what you're doing sitting in front of me. I reached out for help, you know, and, I, and, and Stephanie, this is the other thing that you know so well, there's no way in the world that an individual without outrageous training, and even if they have outrageous training, can do the self-diagnosis and the self-treatment. I mean, we might be able to say, God, I've been feeling low for the last month. Maybe I have low clinical depression. You know, a, a therapist, a counselor could, could possibly pick that up on themselves. Possibly not, right? But then the treatment, the treatment part of it, you know, what do I need to stop? I need to stop this. You know, yesterday in, in one of my therapy journals, there was another study that came out that is just so important to share. 70% of Americans over the age of 15 spend over an hour in bed every night scrolling on their phones, which is destroying circadian rhythm and all deep restful sleep. 70% of 15 to 100-year-olds are an hour or two a night. And we're wondering why we're irritable, we're impatient, we're tired, we're exhausted, we're not sleeping well. Come on. See, this is the treatment that we're taught. The treatment is remove the damn devices, right? But, but if you're an alcoholic and you realize you're an alcoholic, it's really hard to remove the alcohol. If you're addicted to your freaking phone or tablet, trust me, you're going to have withdrawal. You're going to go through withdrawal, get ready for it. But the withdrawal is worth it to get your sanity back, to get your health back, to get the motivation back. We know when we're tired, we're not inspired. Creativity drops, motivation drops, work ethic drops. And look at our country. People don't want to work. 
They'd rather scroll on their freaking phones and play video games. It's all desensitization, right? It's all distraction. So let's talk a little bit about your book and some of these awesome strategies for how do we start to heal? How do we start to break some of this habitual conditioning that that we've been in? And I really want to talk about too, what can we start doing today? You know, what is something practical that we can start doing to wake up so that we can stop scrolling, so we can stop you know, attuning to all the social media and the fear mongering that's continually being broadcast to us. Uh, Stephanie, you know, in, in our work, we believe the only way to change is via writing. We don't believe you can think your way to change. You can talk your way to change. We really believe it has to be written. So we created a journaling program years ago and it came out in a book. Um, and this just came out. Um, it's called the ultimate gratitude journal, 52 weeks to a new you. And what we teach is it's called the four by four journal technique. So this is step number one for everyone with us today. This is where we all need to begin. So the four by four journal technique goes by this every day. You write down four things that you're grateful for four things that went well. Okay. So I got up this morning. Great. Write it down. Um, I got up at eight instead of nine 30. Fantastic. Write it down. Uh, I went to bed at 10 instead of midnight. I only scrolled for 20 minutes. Victory, write it down. Okay, so we know that positive reinforcement in writing will affect the conscious mind and the subconscious mind, okay? Thinking does not affect the subconscious mind at all. The subconscious is way too powerful. It will outthink you in a heartbeat when you're trying to get away from a bad habit, okay? It has justification, rationalization, and denial. Oh my God, David, you haven't been on scrolling for a day and a half. You deserve it. You work 12 hours today. Relax with it in bed tonight. You know, so it has all these kind of tools. So the first thing we say is write down the positives. Reinforce what you're doing well. Don't just think it. Put it on paper so that when you look at it, that's me. Now, the second phase is write down the four things that you were challenged by today. All truth, 100% truth. If you say that you're going to quit smoking and you're only going to smoke seven cigarettes and you did 10, write down, I smoked 10 cigarettes. You know, if you say you're only going to scroll for 30 minutes, don't guess that it was 30 minutes. Look at your phone and see how many freaking minutes you scrolled. Okay. Write that down. So this is what we do. Seven days a week, we journal the positives and the challenges. At the end of the week, and this is crucial, gang, we look for what's called a pattern in the challenges. Any challenge that happened more twice or more in one week has become a pattern. Sunday is the day we set the plan to shatter the pattern from the week before. So let's let's go back to our scrolling thing. I'm working with a kid out of London, 28 years of age. He will be on video games or scrolling the internet until 4 a.m. and he has to get up at 7 for work. Well, you know what that's like, right? So we looked at his, his, his phone, 19 hours a day, he's somewhere on the internet. So we had him start writing down and he goes, I don't want to write down 19. I said, I know you don't write down 19. <laughs> Doesn't matter what you want to do. Just freaking yeah, do yeah, it. Yeah. Okay. All right. Write down nine. Now I'm going to talk to you in seven days. I want to know in seven days that you went from 19 to 17 to 15 to 13, I want to see a decrease every day that you're on that Don device, right? 
So we go seven days later, he's down to eight hours a day. Now, eight hours a day seems ridiculous unless you're comparing it to his previous 17. Now, this is what happens. He has becoming motivated. He's seen in writing, not here. He is seen in writing his improvements, right? So he is now becoming more excited and more excited to keep the pattern going. But if we just rely on our brain, it's like a dog chasing its tail. The subconscious, if you're in a pattern of dependency or addiction, it's going to come back and it'll find a way to wiggle itself in or, and you know this as well, we'll cross addict. So we'll, we'll stop X and we'll pick up Y to get the dopamine boost that we were getting with the scroll. We'll find it a different way. So that's probably the most powerful first step that we could talk about in regards to changing a self-sabotaging habit. I absolutely, I love that. I'm motivated to do that. You and I definitely, again, I said to you before we got on to the interview, I have such a huge resonance in what you're doing. And I think that's something I really emphasize too, is the importance of writing things down. Our minds are such slippery slopes. And so we can say affirmations all day and they're just sliding right out of there. There, there, There's no stickability. And so when we write it down, it's like we're telling, you know, our subconscious mind, hey, this is important. Pay attention. That's right. That's right. Stephanie, remember in the beginning, I told you I had an affirmation. I said for 16 years that never worked. It was a bunch of BS. And then Maharishi, okay, here was my affirmation. Every morning, I am David Essel, a child of God, happy, healthy, and sober today. A complete lie. Mm. I was never sober from 1980 to 1996. So that's how affirmations keep us stuck in addiction. We can get stuck thinking we're doing so good when we're not doing crap. You know, um, I own a home in Bali and Indonesia and blah, blah, blah. And we say, oh, it doesn't mean anything. It's a waste of your time. It's a waste of your energy. You're lying to yourself. You are lying. Unless you have a home in Bali and Indonesia, you're lying to yourself, okay? So we have been fed a bunch of crap by well-meaning people that want to make money by selling a program that is a fallacy. Okay. I listen, I, you know, I started in 1979. I started working with bodybuilders from a mind point of view. You know, all my work has always been mental and I was in sports psychology. I still, I work with a major league pitcher today. We totally in a year, he was getting demoted to triple a, We worked for a year together. He's having the best season of his life. So I love sports psychology. I love the brain, right? It's like so crucial. But if people don't take action steps, and if they just come and sit in front of you on Zoom or in person and, and you as a therapist, if they sit in front of you, but they don't do anything for seven days, they're going to come back and they'll feel better just being with Stephanie. I, you'll feel better just sitting with Stephanie on the phone, sitting with her on Zoom, being in front of her. You'll feel better because she has really powerful energy, really awesome, authentic energy. But if all you're doing is relying on one hour with Stephanie every week and you're not doing anything the other six days, it's a waste of time and money. Not, from, not because Stephanie isn't great, but because you're not changing. So we encourage people, get help. But then when you're getting the help, make sure you're doing work in between sessions. You know, the the major league pitcher that I was talking about, um, when he came to me, they had put him on antidepressants, which numbed him to death. 
He had no relationship with his wife because he couldn't feel anything. He would go out to play baseball and where the crowd used to get him all riled up and he'd get, it didn't do anything. His emotions were so tampered down. We slowly titrated with his doctor's approval off of the antidepressants because you can't just stop that stuff cold turkey. There's a lot of negative side effects. We got him off of it within 45 days of him doing the work. We did a lot of emotional regulation work, you know, a lot of, okay, I'm dealing with this frustration. What are my options? I'm dealing with this block. That's emotional regulation, right? I'm, I'm up against a block. What are my options? So we worked on all these different options with emotional regulation. He's back in the big leagues. He's having the year of his life. His marriage is incredible. He texted me a little while, I I should say probably about three months ago, talking about how the intimacy is back and all these incredible things. You know, I'm just so happy for this young kid, but he's working it, Stephanie. Mm -hmm. You know, he's, he's, he's not relying on the secret and the law of attraction and affirmations and all that kind of stuff. You know, he's actually working at it now. What we believe is that 20% of your massive success will come from having a powerful attitude. We, we want people to have a powerful attitude, right? We want you to be, have faith and believe in the yet unseen. We want you to know that people before you have overcome huge challenges just like you have, and they've gotten through it and you can too. So we want that belief. But then the second part, the 80%, in our opinion, is doing what you would rather not do asking for help when you'd rather not, spending money on help when you'd rather not, putting energy and time into getting help when you'd rather not. You know, that's the pathway of the masters. The masters do what they'd rather not do. Not every master started liking getting up at 3 a.m. I remember um, when I interviewed Wayne Dyer the first time, this is going back to 1990, and I was asking him, you know, what are his 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 uh, steps that he takes on a daily basis that keeps him grounded, you know, and he goes, First thing he goes, I'm up every day at four. He goes, four is the magical hour. Now I've interviewed monks before that say three is the magical hour. I don't know. It doesn't matter to me. They're both early. (laughs) Yeah, seriously. (laughs) So I look at five as being a magical hour for me or six as being a magical hour. And it works for me. You know, I've never really gotten into the 3 a.m. wake up, Stephanie. I don't think I ever will. (laughs) I don't think I'll go to the 4 a.m. either. But the reason I say this is because that's an action step that's uncomfortable. Now, I used to tell people I'm not a morning person. I, t- I had that label for many, many years, right? I'm just not a morning. And then I turned into a morning person. Well, I turned into a morning person when my mom got sick. And all of a sudden, I'm up every day at five in my courtyard praying. And from then which is now three years ago when she got sick till now, this is what I do. My morning has shifted dramatically. Um, And the other thing, you know, in the world of grieving, my morning, M-O-U-N-R-N-I-N-G, has turned into M-O-R-N-I-N-G. It's turned into the time I'm with mom, the time I'm connected, deeply connected, the time I'm talking to her, the time I'm loving her. And this might sound strange to people, um, but I have to make a, a statement here. If you did not have a healthy relationship with your mom and dad, I am sorry. And I'm sorry if they passed that it wasn't able to be patched. And I just hope that you'll look at someone like Stephanie and reach out and get help 
on how to let go if you have resentments of any type. You know, when I talk about my mom and dad, I happen to be very blessed. They hung in there with me when a lot of moms and dads wouldn't. And Stephanie, I want to make this statement, and I, I don't know if people will understand it or not. I have fallen more in love with my mom and dad. Since they've gone, you know, they, I have fallen more in love with them. I think about them all the time. I have their pictures everywhere. You know, um, I celebrate them like I'm doing right now through tears. I celebrate them, you know, and I love them so much. Um, my mom has visited me two times. My dad has visited me two times. And may I share the first visit from my mom? Please, please. So she died uh, January a year ago. And for 10 months, it was the worst 10 months of my life. Um, I didn't know how to deal with the grieving. You know, I've taught a grieving course for 30 years and it, and it wasn't relevant when it's your own. It's yeah. a totally different ball game, isn't yeah, it? Cool. And so for 10 months, I could not, I didn't know how I was going to get by, you know, and I was crying constantly. And on Christmas Eve, I decided to build a 10 foot by 10 foot garden of hibiscus flowers for my mom. And I went crazy. I I, I dug for probably 10 straight hours on Christmas Eve. I spent all Christmas day putting dirt and fly and these beautiful bushes in and everything else. And I get it that night I'm laying with my partner and her head is on my shoulder and we have just stopped talking and we were both about ready to fall asleep. And all of a sudden I see the screen in front of me and I'm looking at it and I'm going to my dreaming here and her head is going up and down. So I said, okay, I'm, I'm here, I'm grounded, you know, and, and the screen goes up and it's black. And all of a sudden this figure starts walking down the hallway and stops. And there's this really light light and it's Jesus Christ. And he's staring at me with this most beautiful look, this very compassionate, empathetic look, you know, um, no words are spoken, no smiles, but you can just see the love emanating from him. And then the screen goes back down. And now I'm going, okay, I am something weird is happening here, you know, but I went and double checked and her head is, I said, okay, I'm, this is real. This is life. This is real stuff here. You know, the screen goes back up and there's the hallway and here comes my mom and she walks down the hallway and stops and she looks at me and she says, oh, honey. And that's the voice she used to use all the time. Honey, I know you're really hurting, but I want you to know something. I'm doing great. I'm really doing great. I know you have to go through your sadness, but at any moment you can stop because I'm always with you. I'm never apart from you. Now, honey, I have to go. Please hold me there. Please know I'm always with you. I love you very much. I will see you again. And the screen goes back down. And I jumped out of bed, Stephanie. You know, I jumped out and I go, oh my God, was that a lucid dream? Was I just astral traveling? Like, what the heck happened? And my partner jumps up and she goes, 
where did you go? Who were you visiting with? Who, who visited you? Like she could tell I was talking to people, you know, like she goes, who, who? I go, it was mom. And she goes, oh my God, you know, what did she say? And, and so for people that don't believe in the other side coming back, you know, there's a lot of fallacies given that, you know, there's some religions that say that those who passed over have 30 days to visit, then they can't visit again. Then there's another religion that says 90 days and then it's eternal. It is eternal. They're never away from you. The love never changes. It can only improve. It's unbelievable what the reality is that we haven't been told. We are being controlled. We're being told things that aren't true. You can connect with anyone at any point. It doesn't matter if they passed away 100 years ago. Listen, but here's the thing I found, Stephanie, that works so, and I still do it every day. I believe we have to create gateways. We have to invite them in. I invited mom in with a garden. When my dad passed, I put a massive plant in there for him. You know, I write to them every day. It's a gateway. I'm communicating. So if you want to communicate with someone that's passed over, create gateways. It might take 10 minutes. It might take 10 months. I don't know. For me, it was 10 months of crying and loving. I wrote to my mom every night for 10 months and I go, mom, I know you know what happened to me today, but I'm going to tell you anyway. <laughs> you know, I would write and write and, and you know, the, the, the return gift, even though I'm crying, the return gift is so beautiful, Stephanie, to know that you can connect, to know that they're not gone. I, I swear to God, they are not gone. They're just like Stephanie and I are here, ladies and gentlemen, so are they. They're all around us. But if we don't invite them in, and it might be a free will thing, I'm not sure of all the answers here, okay? I'm learning as I go. Maybe it's a free will thing where that they can't interfere unless we invite them. I'm not sure, right? But I do know I will continue to invite them. I will continue to bring them to me. And as I do, I learn more. And as I do, I give other people hope. You know, people that have been told that you can't connect, that they're gone, they're gone forever. And maybe you'll meet them in heaven. Heaven is here, here, right here, okay? It's here. You can create hell or you can create, it's your free will, it's your choice, but please consider what I'm saying. You don't have to believe me 100%. A lot of people don't, and that's okay, but try it. At least try. You have nothing to lose. Write letters. Invite, say, I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to feel your energy. I'd love to feel you as a breeze on my arm in a locked house where no breezes are. You know, whatever you want to do, right? But reach out. Stephanie, there is a world that I'm finding that I had no idea ever existed. That's really the truth. I'm learning a lot. Yeah. Isn't that the beautiful thing about this life experience that, that w- there's not an end point that we no. stop learning or stop evolving and that these beautiful doors and I love it, gateways and portals are open to us. Yeah, that's right. You know, when we put our energy into them and again, I just, oh my gosh, David, want to thank you so much for sharing your heart and your vulnerability. And I'm, I'm just so touched by your story and and I, and I know myself from 33 years of being in this profession that I've had my own experience of that. I've had so many people in my office um, yes. sharing those stories. Yeah. And you and I have a connection with Wayne Dyer. 
And actually, I knew his secretary at the time who was helping him collect all the stories for his very last book, Memories from Heaven. Right, right. And so, you know, it, it was so special because he was getting those stories from around the world where people have had these kind of experiences yeah. to help normalize them because yes. it really is real and it really is accessible to all of us. So <laughs> I, I feel like, you know, in, in the ultimate scheme of things, what, what we get afraid of, I think, when, when we're thinking of the pandemic and we're thinking of, you know, the loss, I think so many people ultimately have this fear of death and the yeah. end. Yeah. Yeah. And what does that mean? And I think what, when we're able to share stories like this, yeah. you know, maybe it helps to curb a little bit of that. I don't have to cling so tightly. And it's like, I do, I have this time. It's not going to be the end of everything. And, right. and what can I do with this time? How can I be intentional in this time? Yes. yes. How can I reach yes. out in ways, you know, and, and I was listening to your book, um, the power of, not the power of positive thinking is what I call it. <laughs> but it's it's so great. And and you were talking about Viktor Frankl, you know, and and he's always been such a huge mentor for me, you know, for decades since I read that man's search for meaning. Yes. And I think that that's so much about what your work speaks to as well. You know, you. is is that we can go through those people that don't know Viktor Frankl. You know, he was an Auschwitz survivor, went through the worst kind of situations and circumstances yeah. and survived. And what he was able to do is find meaning within that suffering. And it was around giving back to others and being able to share these experiences so that other people, you know, would, would find strength and could find meaning. And yes. I feel like that's, you know, that's our gift, you know, that's, that's, right. that's our gift when, when we can that's do right. that for each other. And that's definitely David yours. And it's, yeah. you know, just to truly, you, you help to inspire people. And this book lays out so beautifully, so many different ways um, mm -hmm. of, of dealing with things from love, from, you know, ADD, anxiety, depression, what do we do when a relationship ends? I love your your 365 day prescription. Yes. Um, I mean, there's so, there's so many things and very practical around how do we turn off the news? How do we yeah. do these things? So we're feeling, we're filling our heart, mind, body, and soul with things that are truly meaningful. That's right. You you mentioned something so crucial. We encourage people to get rid of all news, Stephanie. Um, there's nothing you won't find out from a neighbor, a friend, a coworker. You don't need to watch a thing. There's nothing there that's good. And, you know, even though I'm in the media all the time and I know television networks hate when I say this, um, when I'm talking about the six o'clock, the 10 o'clock, the 11 o'clock, the seven o'clock news, the 6 a.m. news, get the hell off it. Uh, there is nothing good coming out of it. And what we recommend to all of our clients that are serious about personal growth is the first hour of every day should be electronic free. Yes. The first hour, no phones, no stock markets, no internet, no, no reading from a tablet, get a damn book for gosh sake. Um, you know, but we, we want people to be electronic free. We want them to see what it's like to not have a freaking phone in their hand, to not have a tablet, to not have something going on here, you know, 
I don't, I don't care if it's music. No, 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 no. Get comfortable with silence. Silence is a teacher. Silence is a master. When you can get comfortable with silence, you have mastered life. Most people, when they sit for the first couple of times in silence, they'll last about three to four minutes. Then they'll need to get a drink and they'll need to light a candle. They need to go to the bathroom. They need something to eat because they're uncomfortable with themselves. It has nothing to do with the silence. It's what's here. What am I hearing? that I don't normally hear because I'm scrolling, I'm listening, I'm watching, I'm on a podcast that's telling me that, you know, uh, conspiracy theories and, you know, all this other kind of nonsense. So we say the first 60 minutes, no electronics. Um, We ask people to plug in their phone outside of their bedroom, get it outside, no temptation. Stephanie, you know, the only thing I watch on TV pretty much is sports and I love basketball. I'm a basketball freak. I played in college. I'll always love it, right? I am seeing more and more commercials of people waking up in the morning and grabbing the phone off the side of their bed in television commercials. I I mean, it's like the worst thing in the freaking world, right? Um, I don't, do we have time to to talk about one more story that has to do with the world and addiction? I, I think we have time for one more story and then we're going to have to, <laughs> I mean, we're going to have to do another interview is all I'm saying, David, there's so much that I feel like I, we have barely scratched the surface. So please. Yeah. Okay. But if this, if this pushes your limits, I can wait. I, I don't want to put you over time. I want to respect your time. <laughs> okay. I want to hear the story and I'm going to invite you back on again. <laughs> Because it's just, it's just too important to get it. And I feel like we're, we're just about out of time. And so I, I want to make sure, number one, that people know how to get a hold of you, how they can find your wonderful books. Okay. All right. I will do that first. Really easy. Talkdavid.com. The easiest website name to remember. Talk David, because that's all I freaking do. Talkdavid.com. Okay, go there. And if you ever want to do work, because we know the economy is, is struggling right now, what we've decided to do is make September our Labor Day special. We've never done this in 43 years, but we're doing two for one. So if people pack buy a package of eight sessions, they get 16 for the same price. And we're doing that because we know the struggle with money. There's so many people, even successful people, that are starting to see things change with their finances. So go to talkdavid.com. All the stuff Stephanie and I talked about, we cover everything but politics. That's the only thing I don't cover. So And get the two-for-one special. It ends September uh, 31st, 2022. Um, other than that, there's all kinds of stuff. We have a blog with hundreds of blogs. You can read all that for free. And you know, there's, there's lots of, of fun stuff there. Uh, talkdavid.com. And I'll look forward to working with you. And the other thing that we say is you get support five days a week with us. So you get me one hour on the phone or Zoom, and then five days a week, you can text me. So we stay in contact. There's no extra charge for the text. That's just part of higher accountability. So just for what people know. Okay. Really quick story. Okay. 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 Here we go. (laughs) Last night I'm watching the U S open. I tell you, I almost only watch sports, right? And um, there was this incredible match between this woman, Pagula, Jess Pagula. She's ranked number 12th in the world. She's from the USA against the number one player in the world. It was an amazing match. They went head to head. Our American Jess eventually lost, but it was a great game. We go to the next game. It's a phenomenal game. And then halfway through it, they say, oh, we want to show you a clip from Jess Pagula's press conference. 
And this blew my mind. And this irritated me so much. I'm writing an article this weekend and I'm going to blow everything up. Jess Pagula, number 15 in the world tennis player, thousands of little girls looking up to her, thousands of boys looking up to her from 10 years, six years of age, little tennis players up to their 20s and 30s, right? They look up to this woman. She's at the press conference with a massive Heineken beer in front of her, drinking it during the damn press conference. Stephanie, I have watched sports. I'm 66. I've watched sports for 64 years, okay? I have never in my life seen an athlete. And wait till you hear what she said, which is why I'm really pissed off and I'm really going to blow this up. A, a, A reporter said, you have a beer in your hand. Why are you drinking a beer right now? And she goes, to take the edge off the loss, the frustration. That's the world of addiction. That's an alcoholic speaking. That's not a social drinker speaking. That's a freaking alcoholic line, right? Now, the USTA, Jess Pagula, Heineken, they're all the problem. Money, greed, power. If that was a Bud Light, they would never have shown that because Bud Light is not a sponsor. Money, greed, power. She is one of the worst role models. Now, I'm being extremely judgmental. I'm a former alcoholic. I know what the hell I'm doing. I am David Essel now, free of anything. And when I see something like that, and I think of our children having role models in sports, it's disgusting. So when we wonder why the addiction is through the roof and why alcoholism is growing every day, let's look at what we are doing as a country to promote it, Stephanie. Yeah. It's unbelievable. So I don't mean that that's to sound negative, but I do know this. You and I are role models at whatever level people want to look at us as role models. Role models have a responsibility to do what's right. And sometimes you're going to lose friends, fans. You're going to lose everything when you follow integrity and you do what's right. To our audience right now, do what's freaking right. If you see someone being mistreated, step in. Call the cops, do whatever you have to do, but don't turn a blind eye to the stuff that we're talking about today because you matter. You have a voice. Use your down voice for good. Don't gossip to your friends. Oh, I saw this person doing something to this black person or I saw this person doing something to this homeless person. No, intervene, get involved. You know, when when all of the crises start hitting the world and we sit back and we're watching the news and saying, oh, that's terrible. Come on. Let's use your voice. Let's use your brains. Let's use your strength. Let's use your talents. Get involved. We need more like you involved in this world to help it heal. It's not going to heal on its own. We have to be the healers. It's our responsibility. And I hope you'll join Stephanie and I as we continue to do our work. Would you please join us? Would you get on board? Would you start standing up for people that need a voice? Would you start doing something like that? I would like you to think about it, please. Thank you, David. Oh my gosh. I, I couldn't have asked for a better wrap up and really calling people to action because we can get through this together. Yes, we can. We really can. We really Stephanie, can. Without a doubt, I believe you. So, David, thank you so much for this time with you. What a joy. Oh my gosh. This is only the beginning because I'm going to continue <laughs> having conversations with you. <laughs> so I would love it, Stephanie. What a great merge of energy and tension. You know, like we've got it going. And anytime you need me, you got me. <laughs> oh, thank you, David. Thank you for being here.